Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Scott Rafferty, and trade season has officially begun. The first domino to fall, the LA Lakers acquired Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards in exchange for Kendrick Nunn and three future second round picks. Scott, when you got the notification to your phone and really processed the news, what were the first thoughts that crossed your mind? Pretty surprised, to be honest. I know Rui's a guy who's been mentioned as, you know, he, he could be someone on the move. We know kind of what the situation was in Washington with him, um, wanting a bigger role and everything like that. The Lakers weren't a team that I saw being really linked to him. So I, I, I was just surprised by this. And we all know the Lakers just been linked to so many different players. Right. I don't know if this is kind of the first person I thought would uh, come across my, as you said, my phone when that, that was announced. But I think there's two ways of looking at this trade for me. I think one... It's, it's a worthwhile and smart trade for the Lakers, just from the perspective yeah. of this is a young guy who's only a few years removed from being a lottery pick. He has skill. like He's proven that he can be a good scorer. He has good size. Um, I, I think from that perspective, you know, knowing his contract situation as well, like he's going to be a restricted free agent in the offseason. He's up for an extension. I, I think all things considered, especially with the price, like this is a, an, an interesting and good gamble for the Lakers. The second part of it, though, is I, I do wonder like how much more this does improve the team. Like I, mm-hmm. I think there are some concerns with me. Like I, I think Rui and his ability to score, um, putting that next to a LeBron and AD takes a little bit off of their shoulders from that perspective. But again, I, I do worry a bit of a positional overlap because like LeBron's been playing a ton of four at this point of his career. AD's right. a five, but he also plays some of the four. You have some of that. And really, I think the success of this trade hinges on Rui Hachimura being able to kind of rediscover the three-point shot that he had last year. Because he, he's more of like a mid-range guy. But look, we, we, we know what the, the situation is now. We've seen this for decades. Like, if, if you want a LeBron team to be good, you surround him with shooters. And if he is right. the 45% three-point shooter he was last year, albeit on low volume, I, I think that's, that's a way that this could look really good um, down the road. But if he's more like the, you know, 33% three-point shooter he's been for most of his NBA career... I think that's where things could start to go wrong a little bit. But um, Steph, I know you graded the the trade on Sporting News. Steph Noe also wrote a right. great piece about how like how he can play well next to LeBron in particular because he's never played with a playmaker like that. So there's definitely room for optimism. But um, that that's kind of the two thoughts, the general thoughts came to my mind when the trade came through. You, you know, before I was getting ready to say something, but then you said that, and and I, and I know that he really hasn't played with a playmaker like LeBron, but. He did play with somebody who averaged a triple-double a couple years ago in Washington, and he's now reunited with Russell Westbrook. I thought that was interesting because when I when I did look at the trade grades and I saw Rui was coming off of a 30-point game uh, uh, when this trade was made, the last time he scored 30, he made 12 field goals, and Russell Westbrook assisted seven of them. thought that was an interesting note. That was a great note. Uh, you know, that, 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 was, that was cool, and also somebody pointed out, and we actually had it over on uh, the Sporting News social media channels that – Russell Westbrook, Rui Hachimura, Thomas Bryant, and Troy Brown Jr., all members of the 2021 Wizards that were a play-in team and earned the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, are now reunited in Los Angeles. Listen, I, I think Rui, uh, you know, like you said, this guy is only a few years removed um, from being a, a lottery pick. He will turn 25, like, right at the trade deadline, so he's young. Fits in with the Lakers' youth movement that they've been trying to to, to go about. Now they have a, kind of a, a two-timeline type thing going on where it's like, you know, LeBron, AD, the two vets. AD's going to be 30 pretty soon. Um, and then you have, obviously, Pat Bev and, and Russell Westbrook, the, the, and Dennis Schroeder, kind of the scrappy guards. But then you have Austin Reeves and 
Troy Brown and now Rui and Thomas Bryant and uh, Lonnie Walker, who's been out for some time. And the fact that Lonnie Walker and, and Austin Reeves have been out for some time with injury and the Lakers have still kind of found ways to, to, to dig out and scrap wins. I do think that ultimately when you're the Lakers, they've added much more talent. Kendrick Nunn had his fair share of struggles. It kind of feels like um, he, he peaked uh, during that one season with the heat that he was out of the rotation by the time they made a run to the finals. Um, so so adding more talent is definitely not going to hurt, especially in the Western Conference that's wide open. I, I think that there are going to be questions about the fit, that there's, there's no arguing that. I think that that especially reigns true with the way this Lakers team is, is, is I guess, constructed Right now, because there more changes could be abound, but ultimately the way I look at it, it's a win. And the biggest thing that I ask myself is, what are the Wizards doing? What are they doing? Like, I, I think that, you know, there were so many teams that were going to bid for Rui Hachimura, a, a guy, again, about to turn 25 years old, career 13-point-per-game score. Uh, I saw him linked to a number of teams. It kind of feels like they, like, bit on the first team. It was like, hey, do you want to do this? And they were like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Because I feel like there were some other teams that would have had some offers uh, that they would have brought to the table. So who knows what's going on with that? Because the, what they got back in return, again, all respect to, due to, to Kendrick Nunn, I think they could have gotten more. It, I mean, I think you could ask that for a lot of the trades or moves that the, the Wizards yeah. have done over the last few years. Like, what, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Th- this is not the only kind of example of that. I, and it, it feels early, right? Like, the trade deadline is still a few right. weeks away. It, it does feel rare that we see a trade kind of like two to three weeks out um, especially mm-hmm. a trade kind of like this. It's not, you know, it's not a blockbuster trade. No superstars right. involved. At the end of the day, like I feel like the three second round picks that the Wizards got in return is kind of like the, that. That's why they did this trade. And who knows? Maybe they mm-hmm. can flip those three second round picks into right. a first round that's pick true. for some team. Like I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's hard, right? Like the Wizards are one of those teams where it's kind of hard to see kind of what vision they have over the next few years. Um, yeah. Porzingis has been good this season when he's played. Kyle Kuzma is having a career year. Bradley Beal is a multi-time All-Star who is one of the best mm-hmm. scorers in the NBA. But it kind of just feels like, you know, like even this year, it's going to be hard for them to kind of be in that play and or to make the playoffs. And then if you're going to re-sign Kuzma in the offseason, you just sign Beal. Um, kind of what is the outlook for this team moving forward? So they're, they're in a, a little bit of a, a questionable state, I feel like, overall. To, to me, I kind of chuckled when I was looking through the draft capital that they got in return. One of uh, the picks that they got is the option to get they pick, the pick swap back. That's from the Russell Westbrook trade that they did with the Lakers. So now it kinda, it's kind of like they're like cleaning up their own mess uh, because they have the option to get a pick that they parted ways with a few years ago back. Now, um, I, I'll say this, and we talked about the Wizards, and maybe those three picks will get used to do something else. And we talked about the Lakers, the way they're constructed right now. Um, the Wizards feel like maybe this is a precursor to them becoming sellers. But the Lakers, what do you think should be next for them? Because the deadline is looming. We, we said this was an early deal, but before we know it, we'll be like, man, there's only a few days left. Um, do you foresee the Lakers continue to be more active? I, I think this is a huge move for them, just given you know that they've they've whiffed a couple times as of late. But I'm just curious what you think the Lakers' next move might be. Well, the interesting thing is, and I, I might get some of these figures wrong, but I, I've read a few things. The Lakers were, I think, about to have $30 million in cap space going into the offseason mm-hmm. just based on the players that they were going to lose and everything like that. Because of Rui Hachimura's cap hold, I believe that's basically halves it. Um, mm-hmm. So assuming they do, you know, they could re-sign him to a number that's less than his cap hold, and that would give them a little bit more wiggle room. But basically, this is going to eat into their cap space, making this trade. Yeah. And it's one of those things like I know Russell Westbrook has been mentioned as a, a trade candidate, you know, all season long. 
But now do you look at it as in like, you know, he's someone they could probably re-sign at a cheaper number. And he's, you know, he's proven to be a good six man, a very good six man. I know he's, I think he's still the favorite to be six man of the year. I don't necessarily agree with that. There's no denying he's in that conversation though. Like he, he's been very impactful. Right. So does that mean like you kind of keep Russell Westbrook now knowing that you could re-sign him um, and he's going to be an important piece of your rotation moving forward? With that in mind, I think Patrick Beverly is the guy who, you know, he, he's someone who's been mentioned in trade rumors. Um, he's someone I think does have value out there. Like hasn't had the season I think people expected to when the Lakers picked him up. Um, but even just last year, he was so instrumental to the Timberwolves and what they were able to do defensively. I, I think he, you know, he has veteran leadership. I, I do think there's value out there for him um, if the Lakers do pursue that. So I, I feel like that's the move. They trade Patrick Beverly. I don't know what they get in return. Um, a lot of this hinges on the kind of an- how Anthony Davis looks when he gets back, right? Because I feel like there were concerns. Obviously, when he went down, he was playing at an MVP level. The Lakers were struggling. LeBron, I mean, it's easy to forget now. There were some concerns with the way that he was playing at the start of the season. And now he's back to just completely defying father time, looking like one of the best players in the NBA, Walk, you know, rolling out of bed and getting 30 points in his sleep kind of thing. Um, so no, can he can he maintain can he maintain that level? Can Anthony Davis get back to the level he was prior to his injury? Can Russell Westbrook continue to do this? And then you know if they get a little bit more shooting, um, whether that's from Rui Hachimura or someone else, Rui kind of fits in is able to plug in some of the gaps. I mean, you wrote about it today on the Sporting News about how it feels like they're right. being slept on a little bit. Like this team, they're now in that playing picture, and it feels like no one's talking about that. Um, and they're really not even you know they've been doing this when they haven't been at full strength anyway. Yeah, to that point, I think because it says Lakers across their chest, uh, and they have LeBron James, Anthony Davis, this team is, is fairly judged uh, uh, differently than other teams would, but I kind of liken them to, um, right now at least, like, like the Oklahoma City team in 2020 or, um, you know, the Clippers team in 2018. I think they're much better than that Clippers team in 2018, but like a scrappy team, um, just add, add two superstars to a scrappy team like that, that, that kind of finds ways to annoy you and, and, and win games they're probably not supposed to win. And, and on the flip side, they lose games they're probably not supposed to lose. But we saw that recently when they played against the Grizzlies, they kind of hung around. And then they kind of got under the Grizzlies skin and just kind of took advantage of the fact that the Grizzlies, you know, made some missteps um, late in the game and they won the game. LeBron didn't have a great game. Russ had a great game. And then they had an equally confounding win over the Trailblazers where LeBron had a great game. Russ didn't have a good game. They were up 18 to four. Then they were down 24 at the half. And then they still down 25 at the half. And then they somehow almost won by double digits. I think that's a LA Lakers experience right now. Granted, Anthony Davis <laughs> has been out for the entire time, but I think that as long as this team has like that scrappy group around them, I think they're going to have a chance to win games because they're so talented at the top. But now I think that what they do at the trade deadline will kind of dictate whether or not um, you can, you can kind of lump them at that. I guess the top two in the Western comments right now, because right now it, it's, it's the Grizzlies and it's the Nuggets and it's kind of everybody else. The Kings are kind of creating distance at three, which I never thought I'd see the day, but um, I still think that if you're the Kings and you're taking on a six seed Lakers in the first round of playoffs, you're getting flashbacks to the early 2000s. So I don't think they want to see that. At the end of the day, look, I just don't think you want to see LeBron James in a series, mm-hmm. even at this stage of his career. Like he's proven he can just do anything on any, any given night. He can still be the best player in the world kind of thing. Right. And then, right. yeah, you add to that Anthony Davis. It's easy to forget how good he was before he got injured. Like he was entering right. that MVP conversation, the way that he was impacting the game on both ends of the floor. Uh, it kind of looked like he he made that leap that we've all been waiting for. So 
I, I still don't believe in this team as like a, a contender. Like I, I just no, don't know if no. they have the pieces around them and everything like that. But to your point, I think if, if LeBron and AD are playing as at the level that they've shown they, they're able to play at this season and the pieces around them at least make a little bit more sense because at the start of the season, it just didn't feel like it made sense at mm-hmm. all, right? Like they couldn't hit a jump shot. The spacing was terrible. Um, it just felt like everyone was kind of climbing all over each other, especially that their big three, Russell Westbrook, um, not knowing kind of how, how to handle the ball, the usage, all that. So it, it does feel like at least they're kind of trending in the right direction of figuring stuff out. So, and that's kind of why I feel like the Rui edition is just, it's just a, it's, it's a small gamble for them because the, the price right. wasn't high. He has tools to your point. He's young. He still has room to grow. Um, so I, I am fascinated to kind of see what he brings to this team and how he can kind of help them, I guess, take that next step. Absolutely. A, a long way from starting the season two and 10. And as I wrote in the article over yeah. on the sporting news, they were one Matt Ryan miracle away from being one and 11. So be interesting to see what they do. I think as long as they avoid the playing tournament, they will be fine to at least maybe have a chance in one series, which to the point, like you said, it'd be very important that they are buyers at the trade deadline. And again, like you mentioned, this trade comes at a time and it kind of gets the ball rolling. And I think it kind of heightens the sense of urgency for the Lakers, but also around the league because there are so many teams um, that are either going to just sell off and commit to maybe focusing on Victor Wimbenyama or Scoot Henderson. And there are teams who are potentially one piece away and they need to act fast before time kind of passes them by or they get outbid by the Lakers or maybe the the, the Wizards just, you know, just fresh into making a deal. So when you look at the buyers and sellers uh, in the NBA right now, um, ahead of the trade deadline, who do you think should have a high sense of urgency in getting a move made before it's too late? I don't know if I'd say they need a high sense of urgency, but there are two teams in particular that I find fascinating and I would mm-hmm. I would love to see them buyers. One of them is the Pelicans, who I think have surpassed okay. everyone's expectations this season. Zion is legit. Brandon Ingram is awesome. Unfortunately, they have not played much together. So I think this is a little bit different where like I don't think they need that sense of urgency because of that. But they're in just right, such true. a good situation where it does feel like they have such a deep roster they have two legit stars. CJ McCollum is also awesome, and it's kind of back to the playing at the level we knew him at. Um, but they're just—they've got so many players, and they've got so many draft picks that it does feel like they could very easily work their way into like the OG Ananobi talks. You know what I mean? And suddenly you're adding him to this roster, and it just gives you another piece. And suddenly, you know, no one wants to face that team in the playoffs if they're fully healthy right. because of what they can do on both ends of the court. So that—that that to me are a really interesting team. In a similar situation, I also have the Grizzlies because I don't mm. think they need to be. I don't. They don't need to make a move. They could keep this roster, finish to finish with the best record in the Western Conference. They could win the finals with this team. For all we know, like they are really good mm. on both ends of the court. They have a legitimate superstar in John Morant. Desmond Baines made a leap. Jaron Jackson Jr. made a leap. Stephen Adams does all the small things. Dylan Brooks. I know people. He's very controversial. You either love him or you hate him. I love Dylan Brooks. I love what he brings defensively. I think he does more defensively to, you know, forgive him, forgive the 18 footers that he settles for every so often. I, I right. really like Dylan Brooks, but they're another team where like they just have a lot of pieces. They have so many draft picks. They have their own. They have the, also the, the Warriors. They got one in the, the Warriors trade for Andre Gudala that is, uh, that mm-hmm. is protected. Um, but they're another team that could kind of put together a really intriguing package for someone like OG Ananobi or Pascal Siakam, you know what I mean? Like they could get aggressive if they wanted to and really go all in 
if they think that they could easily win it this year. So I, they're not traditional buyers, I feel like, but they are two right. teams that I'm just fascinated with going into this trade deadline. Yeah, those are great. Those are great ones to, to put an eye on. I think that the Pelicans are interesting, like you mentioned, all the draft capital that they have. And, and it's interesting because, you know, they, they got out to a, just such a hot start and then they've just been dealt with injury blow after injury blow because also while Zion and, and Brandon Ingram have been injured, like Herb Jones has missed time. Um, these guys have been in and out of lineup and it's kind of like we talk so much about their depth. It's been definitely put to the test and, and they just haven't had their top guys and they haven't been able to win games. But like you said, if, if they get healthy and have enough time to, to maybe get together uh, and figure things out before the postseason, I would be very interested to see uh, what they're able to do. But I, I really want to focus on the Grizzlies because, you know, you talked about them and, and I saw them play and I've watched them play and I've, I've seen them get, you know, big time wins and, 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 and I, something I feel like is kind of missing. And, and I don't know what it is, but I would like to see them maybe be a little more aggressive because this is a championship window that they could take advantage of. Um, you know, I think we've seen it in the past and, and you look back and, and Steph Curry is, is such a, unique example because of his shooting ability but when you start thinking about teams that are are predicated on a guard and that being their guy who who needs to get you a bucket in late game you know the ceiling on and how good that team could be and again like a guy who was a generational shooter like Steph Curry and even Damian Lillard who was able to get his team to the conference finals because of his shooting ability largely um I, I think that because Ja is not that type of point guard um you know a lot of games predicated on you know getting to the rim um a lot of things that they do in transition when the game slows down in the postseason I would like to see them get a, a guy who can go uh get a buck and you can trust to to kind of break a play and, and get a, a, a bucket in that in that spot. So you're saying Pascal Siakam was very intriguing to me. I don't think they'd be willing to play, pay the price that it would take to get him, but I think that that would make them very much a favorite in, in my eyes. I don't know if there's a guy who they could get, um, and this is going to be a, fu- a funny uh, shout to me, but like somebody who's like a Joe Johnson back in the day, right? Like he he yeah. would be not necessarily the best player uh, on, on that team, but you know, in late game situations, you know, to give him the ball on the block or no, he can do whatever it is that he was able to do. Um, and I don't know who's available like that kind of in that range, but they do have, uh, I think they have the ability to go get somebody. I'm just curious to see if they have anything going on behind the scenes and, and also curious to see who they're willing to, to, to part ways with because if it is a Danny Green trade to make the money match, they'd probably have to get uh, part ways with some of, some of their young guys, whether it's um, Jake LaRavia or Zaire Williams, guys who have shown flashes of being very promising talents in this league. But if they want to make the most of, of winning uh, this year, I think that'll be interesting. And, and talk about teams predicated around small guards. Like I think back to the Hornets, you know, with Chris Paul um, and even the Clippers with Chris Paul, you, you kind of saw, uh, you know, postseason shortcomings dealt with. You put a longer guy on them and now it's more difficult for them to score when the game slows down the postseason. So I, I worry about that a little bit with them um, to throw another team out there. Uh, the L.A. Clippers, I think that, um, you know, we had Norman Powell with a quote saying this team needs to figure out their identity. Another team that, you know, really kind of pats his back on the amount of depth that it has. Um, I think it may be time to consolidate some of that depth because if you, you you can say that you have 10 guys who are starting caliber players in the league. But like at the end of the day, when the when the playoff rotation shortens to, you know, eight guys and sometimes seven, as we've seen in some teams championship runs, what are you going to do with those guys? So maybe if you can shore up some some positions and also like you got to have something to show for this era uh, of Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It's going to be over before we know it. So I think they need to be aggressive and, and see what's out there. Um, maybe try to strengthen their front court, maybe get another playmaker. I don't really know what the answer is, but I think that the Clippers need to be aggressive. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, they come to mind as well. I know they've been linked to like Fred VanVleet, Kyle Lowry. I feel mm-hmm. like I've seen their names linked to them. Um, I, I think Fred VanVleet is a really good answer to a lot of teams, to be honest. Um, you know, yeah. the way that he was playing the first couple months of the season, maybe not. But the all-star he was last season, the way that he's playing this month, I think he would help a ton of teams just with his leadership, three-point shooting ability, what he brings defensively. Um, so yeah, the, the Clippers, I, I think, are a good one as well because they, they they probably have more pressure than, if not every team, most teams, right? Because to your point, they just feels mm, like they right. have some they have to have something to show for this era, especially with the way that the Thunder are playing and the way that Shea Gilders right. is playing. Like right. every game winner he hits, every thirty point game he gets, which is basically every single game, is just a reminder of kind of what they gave um, gave up for him. So they're a good one. Going back to the Grizzlies, though, I, I they, they are fascinating. I think to answer. Some of the the kind of clutch time stuff, I guess, that you were talking about. Um, Desmond Bain would be the answer, I feel like, on the roster for that, right? Like, he has made that leap. Mm-hmm. I think he's someone who probably, if they don't make a trade, they probably envision kind of being able to do some of that kind of stuff. But what's interesting to me with them is that, like, OG makes sense in a lot of ways, but I also don't know if he's quite good enough of a three-point shooter because you're already mm-hmm. limited with Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. can shoot, but I still feel like he's someone that teams are going to test in the playoffs. And if you add another right. kind of like iffy, low volume three point mm-hmm. shooter, I do wonder what that does to the spacing around John Morant and Pascal Siakam. As much as I mean, he's fantastic. He's probably going to be an All Star this season. Might even be all an NBA guy. Um, he's a four. He plays a power forward. So right. are you really rolling right. him out again? Like he's not a big knockdown three point shooter. Are you really going to mm-hmm. play him next to Jaron Jackson Jr. and Stephen Adams, knowing that John Morant is? one of the most dominant paint scorers in the league. And it's a guy who wants to get to the rim basically every single time he goes down. So that the thing with them is like, they're in a really good position, but it also is like, to, I think to your point and kind of what you're getting at, like it is kind of hard to find out like what that answer is for them specifically. Right. And you mentioned Desmond Bain and I didn't even think to, to mention him because it's interesting because I, you know, in watching the Grizzlies, I think, I feel like I've watched them play a little bit closer uh, than I have in, in the past. And it feels like he's making a more concerted effort to get downhill and get to the basket. It still kind of looks weird sometimes to me. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is about that. Maybe it's the minus wingspan or whatever the case is. But, um, you he's know, also stacked. if he's that guy, he is, yeah, that too, that too. It looks like, <laughs> it looks like a fullback going through there. Um, if, if fullbacks were six, four, six, five. So, um, you know, for him to, to, to be that guy would be very interesting to see because that does answer everything. And I think that that is, the biggest thing that kind of stands in, in, in between um, them and, and me having the utmost confidence in, in them being a, 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 a real, real title contender that, you know, when the game slows down in the playoffs, they can make that trip to the finals. Because I think they have they check all the boxes and that's just the one that they may or may not have checked by now. Now, we talked about these these buyers and I think there are a couple of directions they could maybe look for an answer, some sellers. Um, that that you might have written down as teams who just need to go ahead and, and, and start focusing on, on the lottery? I, I think the one that everyone has their eye on, the Raptors, and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned Pascal, OG, Fred Van Vliet. Like, these are guys who have value across the league. Gary Trent Jr. as well, a guy who you know could probably fill in a lot of holes as shooting guard for a lot of teams. I think they're the obvious one, just knowing that they have this really tough Western Conference road trip coming mm-hmm. up. And if it goes as yeah. badly as it could, like that, they could be looking to be sellers. They still don't have to, right? Like they're right. in this position that they are and they still have all these players. They could very well just keep everything they have, still have a really good chance to get in the number one pick and just kind of add hope. Like they hope to add Victor Webanyama to what they have already um, going into next season. But I, I think they're the team, obviously, that everyone has their eye on. But for me, like I, I'm fascinated by the Trailblazers. Uh, this can't, yeah. We're recording this on the day that Chris Haynes of 
Bleacher Report reported that, you know, they are intensely engrossed in improving the roster with the trade deadline approaching, and they remain committed and opportunistic in trying to surround Damian Lillard with a roster capable of competing with the best. But, um, you know, they got off to a really good start this season. They've been struggling lately. They have a big decision to make with Jeremy Grant with his extension. You know, he's having a great year, but is that someone they kind of look to move before signing him to that extension, knowing that another team could really value him? Um, you know, they have some good young talent too, like a Shaden Sharp. Do you look to to trade him to improve your roster for someone who can help you win now? Or do you kind of look to kind of build, not build around him immediately? Because I think he's still a few years away from kind of showing um, that he can kind of do that. But, you know, giving him more opportunities. And Anthony Simons has made a huge leap over the last few years. So they're just a very interesting team for me where it's like, you know, they're kind of playing two sides where it's like you, you are trying to compete with a generational player or a superstar in Damian Lillard who is still excellent and still playing at such a high level. But, you know, they're, they're already struggling. They're in this position with, as they are. Um, so kind of what do they do going into this trade deadline? How do they approach it? Right. Another name that they have that, that's going to probably attract some people is Josh Hart uh, is a guy who people yeah. who has value uh, on the trade market. I think teams will be making calls about him. I, I think the, the Trailblazers have their, have their name written down as well. I think if they don't start uh, making moves soon, they're going to be a perennial play play in team at best. I think that we, we've seen their, them at their peak with Dame and CJ. I think it's time to focus on the future. And I, I, it's pretty clear that Dame Lillard is a Blazers lifer. Um, <clears throat> nothing against his loyalty or anything like that. Um, and if you if you ever questioned his loyalty, I'm sure he'll remind you that he's loyal uh, to Portland and the Trailblazers. But it just kind of feels like unless they do something drastic and, and um, have another year or two like they did last year, uh, they're going to be kind of in this the same range uh, until Shaden Sharp hits. Um, and I think that if they are if they were to trade him, I think they would probably end up regretting it the way the Clippers might move, might end up, uh, you know, re- regretting uh, the trade for, for Shea Gillis-Alexander if they don't have anything to show for it. So I, I think Portland uh, should be very aggressive sellers. I don't think that they will be. Um, I think that, that, that I guess if you're a Blazers fan and kind of understand a realistic Blazers friend, you, you just don't cheer to lose, but you kind of understand and hope that maybe um, they get some some luck that goes their way as far as like, you know, maybe falling in a playing tournament and maybe having some lottery luck and they can maybe add some pieces that way. But it's just a weird thing with the timeline. Again, like you said, they'd be adding young talent for, you know, a guy who's in his 11th, 12th season who, who's playing still at a very, very high level, but it's just kind of hard to do uh, what they're doing as constructed. And I just don't really see a path for them to to fix what's going on. Another team, um, you know, we talked about OKC and, and Shea Gillis-Alexander. I think that the Hornets need to to really, really lean in to being sellers. Um, they have guys who, who, who have a lot of value. Um, I, I think it's time to assess, you know, is P.J. Washington a part of your long-term future? He's due up to, to be paid. Terry Rozier has, is garnered, garnering interest. Gordon Hayward, to a certain extent, is garnering interest. I think Mason Plumlee w- would be a great get for some teams who need a backup big. Um, and I think you're doing two things with that. I think you, you're focusing on the future. You're getting more playing time to the young big men that they have. Mark Williams has been great in the time that he's been on the floor. But the biggest thing is LaMelo Ball. I, I think the clock is going to start ticking for them if they don't have the assets and, and things – to, to build around him because you look at the teams who have built around young guards in the NBA, um, whether it's OKC and Shea or, or Memphis and Ja, they've been building through the draft. And the Hornets have made some questionable draft decisions, but partly because 
in years past, they're just picking between nine and 13. So, um, you know, and this past year was very weird with the trade and Jalen Duran and all that stuff. But I do think if, if they're able to maybe sell off a couple guys um, that they have and, and make some trades and, and add some late first round picks or, or more draft capital, they can just kind of build a young team and then see what works and what doesn't and craft the team around LaMelo Ball. I think they'd be very wise to do that. Kelly Uber is another person on the team. I know he's been dealing yeah. with an injury lately, but he's another guy who could have value, especially for kind of these, you know, competitive teams that need help on the wing. Um, he, he was having a great year before he got injured. No, they're, they're a great call for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, it's it's going to be time soon where it feels like LaMelo Ball kind of looks around and, and takes stock of his situation in Charlotte. And, you know, if they do kind of strike gold, I, I part of me will just never trust the Hornets if they have the even if they have the mm-hmm. best chances of landing the number one pick. Like I'm just gonna have flashbacks to Anthony Davis and Michael <laughs> Gilchrist in that draft. But you got to put yourself in that position. I feel like with them because it it is gonna be we're a couple seasons away from it kind of really heating up with Lamelo, and you're gonna have to have something to show for it because right now they really don't. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 lottery shake might be one of the worst uh, strokes of bad luck. The team with the worst winning percentage in NBA history ends up not getting the number one pick, which was a generational oh. prospect. So uh, I'm sure Charlotte fans are still uh, kind of kicking themselves about that or just never over it. So maybe they end up with the next generational prospect and number one pick because, I mean, like I said, they're, they're going to have the, uh, a 14% chance. They're going to be a bottom four team yep. or bottom three team. Uh, the way things are trending, it's just a matter of what other uh, draft capital they're able to get around him. As we round up, it's a big week in the NBA. It is the first ever rivalry week in the NBA, and there are a lot of rivalries. I'll run them down for you real quick. We got Heat Celtics, Clippers, Lakers, Nets, Sixers, Grizzlies, Warriors, Knicks, Celtics, Mavs, Suns, Grizzlies, Timberwolves, Raptors, Warriors, Nuggets, Sixers, Knicks, Nets, and of course, it wouldn't be rivalry week if it didn't end with Lakers, Celtics. What are your thoughts on rivalry week? Are you are you in on it? I pump the Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic matchup into my veins. That's all. That's all I care about, Gil. I, I think. I think the better thing for me here is to ask you what you think of Rivals Week because I think you have a take, don't you? You know what? All right. So I, 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 I was reading more into it, and and I and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna walk back how I was feeling. I, the thing that I was gonna say is let's just not force it. I love the rivalries in the NBA. There's a new generation of rivalries in the NBA. I even had a, a voiceover video I did about that. And I, and I looked at, I talked about Luka and LeBron and the Warriors and the Grizzlies and also the Celtics and the Bucks. They're not playing during rivalry week. So what, what are we doing here? Um, but, but the big thing that I think about when I think about NBA rivalries, I think that like, I appreciate that they're trying to introduce new rivalries, but you, you can't. They have to kind of introduce themselves to us. Like when I think about rivalries, I think about the fact that there are multiple layers to a multiple generation. So now I look at Celtics heat. I think about Jason Tatum and Jimmy Butler. But then I think about LeBron and KG and Paul Pierce and D Wade. When I look at even the Grizzlies and and the Warriors, like it's the same Warriors core, but like the grit and grind Grizzlies with Mike Conley and Tony Allen, those guys took their shot at, at the Warriors as well. When I'm looking at, the Grizzlies and Timberwolves, yeah, it was fun that they went back and forth last year, but I'm not going to think about like Pau Gasol and and KG and Wally Serbiak and and Mike Miller and, and and White Chocolate, you know, like I'm not thinking about 
those eras of, of those teams. So I think that like the introduction of rivalry uh, week is it, cool. And I think to your point, I think the, the, the Sixers Nuggets one is more of a rivalry between those players' respective fan bases more so yeah. than the two players, which is fun in itself. I think Twitter will be a good place. There's going to be a uh, matinee game on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, hopefully basketball Twitter is tuned into that one, especially because there won't be any football games next Saturday. So that's my feeling about it. Uh, let's just, just don't force it like the rivalries are there a lot of them especially like like the knicks and, and the celtics oh, have been playing since like the basketball had laces in it so like that's cool that's cool but like you know just just don't don't force them let let them naturally come about see part of me like i i don't mind it because like how, it feels like every time every week there's a complaint of like why are we watching this team on espn or tnt for the 50th okay. time this season yeah. when they don't deserve it yeah. whereas this i'm saying this realizing they're on nba tv but yeah, being able yeah. to watch the Timberwolves and Anthony Edwards, who is a rising star, I feel like that's true. giving him that opportunity, again, realizing that game's on NBA TV, it's not on TNT <laughs> and ESPN. But as you as you were saying that, look, I, I, I don't really have a strong take on this or a strong feel about it, which probably won't surprise many people. Um, <laughs> but to your point, like the fact that the Bucks and Celtics isn't one, knowing that that might be the best new rivalry, just knowing kind of how their matchups have gone over the last few seasons – and like you said, you know, time and time again, it is hilarious how it felt like LeBron was the biggest obstacle to the Celtics mm-hmm. in the Eastern Conference. He leaves, and then now they have to deal with Giannis. And it really does feel like this is just going to be one of those things. They could meet in the playoffs every single year for the next six years, for all we know. And every single series could go to seven games because they're that well matched up together. So that's that's probably one. If I gave more thought to it, there's probably a couple more that come to mind. But you know what? I'm just glad. I'm just glad we have Jokic and Embiid, you know? I'm I'm just happy. That's so all that matters. Me, I don't have a strong take on this because that's what they gave us. Jokic and Embiid, that's all that matters. And to that other point, we do get the Raptors in it. Raptors Warriors again, you know, reprising that 2019 NBA Finals. Maybe, I mean, the Raptors are on that road trip, so that's probably why. But like Giannis isn't even in it. Giannis and Raptors Bucks maybe would have been a rivalry. He's played the Raptors a couple times yep. in the playoffs. But, um, you know, if, if we're nitpicking here, but ultimately it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and maybe more rivalries will uh, develop in coming years and we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll get some more memeable moments between Luka Doncic and Devin Booker if he's back in the lineup now you mentioned uh, again the the Jokic and Embiid rivalry um both of their names maybe one of their two names probably not both of them actually because Embiid might get the short end of the stick we will hear uh on Thursday of this week January 26th when the NBA all-star starters are announced um the last fan returns came in last week and Giannis had overtaken Kevin Durant as the leading vote getter in the Eastern Conference. So we will know uh, who the media and the players' peers voted for because they account for 50% of the vote and the fans account for the other 50%. Once we hear the All-Star starters on Thursday, Scott, are you expecting any surprises? I There's not going to be many surprises because I feel like the fan vote returns have pretty much stayed the same since the start. So I feel like we have a pretty good sense of who, whatever it is, the seven all-star starters will be. I am fascinated to see how at least one of the guard positions shakes out in the Eastern Conference. I feel like Donovan Mitchell is probably a lock for one of them. Um, But does Kyrie Irving make it? Does Jalen Brown make it? I feel like I see a lot of media people saying that they have Shea Gilgis Alexander at at that starting spot. So is he someone who, who can kind of crack that? And then obviously that forward spot in the Eastern Conference with Embiid, Tatum, Giannis, and KD. Um, poor Embiid might just get, to your point, the squeeze again. <laughs> this is a guy who I've joked before with us offline about how like 
I feel like in 30 years time, he's going to be the guy where people look up his basketball reference and they're just like, how good was this guy if he's constantly like second team all NBA and he, he wasn't an all-star starter and all these kind of things. Um, but that's just the way that things go, unfortunately, for him. So I, the East guard, though, is, is the biggest one for me. I'm fascinated to see kind of who was who able to take over that second spot. The only other one that I definitely have an eye on, we know in the West front cut it'll be LeBron and Nikola Jokic, but three and four uh, were Anthony Davis and Zion Williamson, and they were also separated by like 80,000 votes. Um, but both of them have been out of the lineup for some time. So it'll be interesting to see if the fan vote and, and player vote maybe like pushes somebody like Andrew Wiggins came in at fifth. I'm sorry, the, the, the media vote and the and the player vote. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was fifth and Paul George was sixth. And Lowry Markkinen uh, came in at seventh, actually had over a million votes, and it will be in Salt Lake City. So maybe we see one of those guys maybe get a boost because availability is the best ability. So Sabonis we'll see, as even well, though Paul George – Yes, yeah, Sabonis is another guy, a yeah. front court guy in the Western Conference. So we'll see if, if some of the guys who uh, haven't had as many injury woes as AD or Zion are able to jump in there. So we will know the starters next week. So Scott and I will be back to talk about our all-star reserves. Interesting to see where he and I agree and disagree about the guys who should be reserves in the 2023 NBA all-star game as always thanks for tuning in to us on nba sound system make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we'll get them right into your feed every week and like i said we'll be back next week this time to talk about all-star reserves and the trade deadline as it gets closer and closer for scott rafferty i am gil mcgregor thanking you for tuning in to nba sound system We will catch you next week.